So every Jewish child would have grown up from, from the time they, b- before they could speak, their parents would sit and read them stories in bed, and before they would go to sleep, they would say the Shema together in the form of a prayer. Every single day. There's only one God, and, and you're it, and I'll love you with everything I've got. And when Jesus bounces the question back to the deeply theological guy about what's most important, the man says, love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus says, you've got it. Do this, and you will live. And I talk about the Shema and the importance of the Shema because because really what frames this picture, Jesus, uh, Jesus painting about vines and branches and fruit production, what frames this whole thing is the Shema. If you, if you look, uh, uh, I think I have a slide, uh, even in this, this next teaching, do I have a slide up there? Yeah, there it is. In verse 12, look what he says, this is my commandment. In verse 17, at the end of it, he says, this is my commandment. And what is the commandment? Love each other in the same way that I've loved you. And so everything that Jesus is teaching, he said, I want you to think of it in this context, in this context of of deep, emotional, passionate love. And, And you guys probably know that there's, in Greek, there's several different words for love. This is agape. This is the big one. This is my command, agape each other. And agape is this kind of earth-shattering love. It's a kind of love that changes things. It's a love that's willing to pay any price. It's the unstoppable force love. It's the kind of love they write songs and poems about. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like this is Shakespeare love. This is a, 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 a Band of Brothers love. You guys seen that series? You know what I'm talking about, Band of Brothers? This is um, Saving Private Ryan love. You guys know that movie? Does that make sense? It is deeply, deeply sacrificial love. And so Jesus, that what frames this whole teaching about fruitfulness and future is this command to saving Private Ryan love each other. Aristotle said, To a noble man, there applies the true saying that he does all things for the sake of his friends, and if need be, he gives his life for them. Another uh, Epicurean philosopher said, for the most beloved of his relatives or friends, he was ready to offer his neck. I think this is uh, strangely appropriate for uh, Memorial Day, isn't it? Reference of... Uh, a deep kind of profound love demonstrated in the ultimate sacrifice. Plato said, only those who love wish to die for others. Jesus says in verse 13 of this passage, he says, there is no greater love. So this whole thing is framed in this Shema love And then he says, I'm going to tell you what kind of love I'm talking about. It says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And this is incredible foreshadowing of of John in in his text, but also of Jesus. Because if you look in your Bible, you're two pages away from Jesus 
showing us the greatest love of all. And so when Jesus says, this is my command, this is my command to love, it is an incredibly weighty thing. It is a, it is a deep conviction. It foreshadows future events. In, in, a, in a kind of last words, pay attention, this is, this is, this, this is the last bit, this, everything I could offer you. In a last words, kind of sacrificial, with, with his own death right around the corner, Jesus' command is to love, is to agape each other. Let's keep going in verses 14 and 15. Curious, curious verses, and, and part of the reason we're stuck here today. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. Slaves, friendship, commands. Does this strike anyone else as, as kind of curious? Man, it, it got me stuck. I, I, I read this again and again and again this week, and, and uh, I was like, man, what's, what's going on here? What's, uh, what's happening here? So I want to I talk about slaves and friendship and, and commands and, and how I think all this works together. Um, do you ever hear your parents' voice coming out of your mouth? Does that ever happen? Um, it, it's, it's a strange experience, isn't it? Like... Um, you know, I, I've got small kids, and, and you know, they kind of run around, and, and they're, they're doing wild things, and then all of a sudden, I hear my dad, and I look for him, but he's not there. It's a weird out-of-body out of experience, um, and, and kids, man, I just, you know, there's a part of me that, that I wish I could be as brave as my kids sometimes. Uh, I, I mean, my kids will eat zero bites of their dinner or their supper or whatever, right? Like nothing, eat nothing. And then six minutes later, after everything is cleaned up, come to my wife and ask for a snack. Like, I wish I could be that brave. Like, I just am not. My kids are constantly asking the question of why. Like, like why can't I watch that movie? Why can't I go to our friend's house? Why do I have to clean my room? What, why can't I have dessert? Uh, why, why do I have to take a bath or, or brush my teeth? Uh, why do I have to use deodorant? Uh, let's just set a rule for this right now. I used to work with teenagers. So if you were a junior high boy, and, and this could, this could go, go down, what, what age do we want to just, let's just right now, let's just make a new law. What age do we want to say, at least boys have to start using deodorant, whether they think they need it or not. What is, is 10, 8, and 2. <laughs> like, like, if you've been around junior high boys, like, they just don't think this is necessary. And, and when you say, please put on deodorant, and they say, why? What? What is the most appropriate response? That I, I guess the voice I hear from my own, my own parents' voice coming out of my head is because I said so, right? You know that word? You know these words? And that is the, I, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't, I'm too tired to give you the real reason again. I just want you to do it. it it's a way of saying it's, it's non-negotiable. You, you don't get a say in this. 
And that's similar to this word when it says, I no longer call you slaves. In Greek, that word is doulos. And and it it just means property. It means without rights or or self-ownership. It means belonging completely to another person. Slaves did what they were told. Without explanations, uh, and one of the best definitions in Greek is a slave is a living tool. That's it. And it's, uh, it's an interesting thing that, that Jesus uses it here, and I really appreciate that, because in, in the New Testament, this term slave is used less than three times. It's used as a Even James in chapter 1 and verse 1 says, introduces himself as a slave of God. And it's ironic to be used at this kind of um, rabbi, the disciples would have been his servants. They, they would have been slaves of the rabbi. They don't, they're not really at a level where they get a choice they say in things. Or they're just there to do things because the rabbi said so. And so this, this slave thing is pretty interesting. Yet Jesus has something greater for us and, and changes the whole dynamic. And he says, you know, I don't call you slaves anymore. Now you are friends. In James chapter 2, verses 23, it says, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called, do you remember what it says? The friend of God. That's a pretty high idea. That's a pretty pretty noble idea. If I told you you could be friends with Jesus, what would you say? Is that something you would even want? What is required of us to be friends of God. What, what makes us friends of God? And the most curious verse in all of this, like we can, everybody can get on board with the love command, but the most curious part of this whole passage is verse 14. It says, you are my friends if you do what I command. What makes us friends of God? obedience. I know what you're thinking. (laughs) Uh, Obedience to command seems more fitting for the slave relationship, right? Uh, uh, When was the last time you commanded one of your friends to do anything? How long would you be friends if your friend commanded you to do anything? (laughs) Some of you could try this. Maybe, Maybe it'll work. I don't know. We just don't, we don't, we just don't think of it that way. Um, but it's important to see, I think, what Jesus is doing here. 
because he is elevating even our ideas of friendship to a whole new level. I think in our culture, friendship sometimes can, can be pretty shallow. It's a shallow thing. If, if we're going to be friends, then you must accept me and my decisions. Have you kind of seen this? Like friendship is blind acceptance of everything all the time. Uh, if we're going to be friends, you, you can't offer, you, you can't be critical of me or my decisions. That's, that's not how this thing works. If, if we're going to be friends, then, then you have to think like me, uh, agree with me. You have to vote like me. And then the biggest lie of our culture today is if we disagree on any level, we can't be friends anymore. Have you seen this? Like, I think it's crazy, but that's, that's how our world operates. We just look for total blind acceptance and then call that friendship. Friendship in our, in our world, I think, is often self-serving. If it doesn't somehow benefit me, I'm out. Friendship is often, in, in our culture, I think, sometimes, uh, or, or too often maybe, temporary and disposable. But for Jesus, in this instance, friendship means something much more uh, I, I would compare it to, uh, so I, one of my great privileges is I get to do weddings sometimes and, and uh, get to officiate weddings, which is really just an awesome way of saying I get to bless people and, and sharing what God's doing. I love to do weddings because I get the best seat in the whole house, um, even, even better than the parents. Like I get to be right in the action. It's so fun and exciting. And, and this friendship language that, uh, that John uses, uh, that Jesus uses, I, I think it's comparable to uh, a, a wedding vow that I hear sometimes as, as the bride and groom, they face each other. You remember in these intimate moments, they sometimes say, I get to marry my best friend. Ah, that's a, that's a whole other level, right? That's a whole other level of friendship. That's a kind of agape friendship, right? Remember verse 13, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So a friend is someone you give your life for. A friend is a relationship worth dying for. And for Jesus, that level of commitment, that level of devotion, that level of, of sacrifice, that level of agape love is expressed through not just blind acceptance, but if you really want to express amazing, deep, intimate love for someone else, you do that through obedience, right? I think I used the example a couple of weeks ago. Can you imagine like the husband walking around like, what? I have to be monogamous now? Like it doesn't make sense, right? Or ladies, if that's your husband, we need to talk. But like it, it doesn't make sense at all because uh, uh, mon monogamy in a, in a marriage, in a relationship isn't something you have to do or forced to do or but it, because you are so committed to this other person, it is the, your desire to be obedient to them, to be connected to them is overpowering. It's overwhelming. I, I, I want to because I love you. And Jesus says, 
you will be my friends when you obey my commands. And obedience is, a, is another one of those words. Like, our, our, frankly, our culture just doesn't understand it. It looks on, at the word obedience like a dirty word, like like. Like we're often too, or too often we're, we're so self-righteous and self-serving. The idea of willingly, you willingly submit, you must be whipped, right? You know what I'm saying? Like uh, we all have those friends that are trying to like dismantle this thing to, to make obedience or commitment to, to one another like this. I can't believe you're doing that. Uh, speaking of marriage, like, you know, I get to work with young couples as they're getting married, and I do premarital counseling with them, and, and it, it never fails. And a couple that's trying to get, get married, they always have at least one friend that's trying to throw a wrench in everything. What? He won't let you come out again anymore? You know what I'm saying? You know that person? Like, they don't get it. You know, they don't understand love. They don't understand this kind of commitment and dedication and, and obedience to each other. And, and, you know, I'm talking to the married couple, and they say, you know, we just really don't want to. We really just want to spend time together. <sighs> Jesus is going to say in, verse, uh, in, in chapter 14, just, just prior to this, in verse 31, Jesus says, but I will do what the Father requires of me, so that the world will know that I, what? I'm going to be obedient to God's will, so that the world will know how much I love God. He says, come on, let's do it. In 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 5, it says, but those who obey God's word, there's that word again, obey God's word, truly show how completely they, what? love him. That is how we know we are living in him. One more in 1 John chapter 5 verse 3 says, loving God means keeping his what? And his commandments aren't too much for us to bear. In verse 10, even of uh, John 15, it says, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. There's that word, that Greek word, remember that word, meno, that deep, intimate connection. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Okay, so for Jesus, obedience isn't a mandate, but a way of expressing deep love for each other. For Jesus, when we obey his commands, it shows that we are friends of God. But is it isn't just obedience that makes us friends of God. It's insider information. And this part really comes from him. Uh, uh, it, it, it's a way of, uh, uh, I can't remember exactly what the verse is, um, but uh, uh, it, it says that, uh, that God will reveal that he is, re that Jesus revealed to us everything that the Father has revealed to him. Like, like, like uh, to become friends of God, Jesus hasn't kept anything from us. He hasn't kept the reasoning from us. Um, he's given us the plan, the, the whole picture. Uh, have you ever tried to do a puzzle without the picture of the puzzle? <laughs> like, no, we would never do that. That's the dumbest thing ever. Yeah, it, and that's what he's talking about. Like, like a, a, a slave might be forced to try to put the puzzle together without knowing the end game, without knowing the pieces, without knowing what the end result looks like. But Jesus says, I've given you the end result. 
we get to see the full picture. Are you with me? And the picture that God paints, his plan, his purpose in Jesus' life is of love and redemption and what God is doing and, and what Jesus offers through his teaching is a path to wholeness and forgiveness and life. The entire narrative of the Bible of God is a story of redemption. It is. We go from a garden to a fallen place to a garden city. That's the story. That's God's plan. That's God's end game. It even says God sent his one and only son into the world, not to condemn it, but to what? Save it. And Jesus says, this is the end game I've shared with you. You know exactly God's plan for this world, for this place. You, you, you've been clued into what's coming and why we're doing what we're doing. You know, a slave, you don't have to give them the reason why. You just tell them, because I said so. But Jesus says, no, 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 you, you're, you're a whole different level now because I want you to know exactly why we're doing what we're doing and what the result will be. His mission has now become our mission. We aren't mindless spectators but we've become participants in this end game. Are you with me? That was a real question. Are you with me? Sorry, I know it's Memorial Day and you're like already thinking about naps. Sorry. <clears throat> Slaves don't know the deeper thoughts or purpose of the master. Only dearly loved intimate friends have that kind of information. And Jesus didn't just share his plan and purpose with the disciples, but he had confidence that they could carry it out. Think about that for a minute. You don't just share your plan with anybody, but if you're going to share your plan with somebody, you know that they're going to be participants in it. You're trusting them with something big, right? Jesus had confidence in his disciples' I know we've talked a lot about discipleship a lot lately at Aspen Grove, and there's a lot that we're still flushing out and, and digging into. I know some of you have lots of questions about, you know, well, what does discipleship mean? And, and, and many of you are being confronted by, especially in this teaching, this, this, this idea of fruitfulness. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. Okay, well, am I producing fruit, and what does that look like, and what has been the fruit of my faith? The reason we keep coming back to this is because I believe Jesus has confidence in you. I believe that the same confidence he had in his disciples, Jesus has in you. A confidence to participate, to join the mission, to fulfill his purpose in this place. Jesus believed that, that some of them teenagers, his, some teenage disciples could carry out his mission on earth and he believes we can too in these final verses he gives us the methodology that he wants us to pursue um, I believe this painting is representative of God's plan for our church I believe uh, this painting is representative of uh, God's plan, design, mission for your family. 
I believe this painting is representative of God's plan, his purpose, his mission for the city of Franklin, for Williamson County. It is a desire for us to flourish and to achieve this flourishing, fruitful, productive goal. We are called to be obedient to Jesus' commands. The kind of obedience he describes doesn't exist on its own. Um, I know obedience is kind of a dirty word in our, in our world. Um, and, and a blind obedience is not what we're called to. Does that make sense? Uh, if I just said, just be obedient just because I said so, that's going to be hard. That's going to be hard for any of us. And that's why it's so, so important that Jesus calls us friends because he says that the kind of obedience I'm calling you to, it doesn't just stand out here in, in the middle of space all by itself. But the obedience I'm calling you to is framed, the, frame of this, the framework of this painting, of this possibility is agape love, right? So obedience can't exist outside by itself. And so Jesus puts obedience in the middle of this amazing framework of sacrificial love. Only in the context of friendship and love can we truly fulfill God's purpose and plan. The frame of this painting is deep, Devotion, love, and friendship. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. Uh, in just a minute, we're going to enter into a time of communion. And uh, it's part of our tradition. It's something we do every week. We feel like it's super important. And uh, around the room, there are stations with the elements on them, um, the bread and the cup. In just a moment, we'll give you a chance to, to, to step to these tables. It, it's, it, it's an awesome experience to be able to step to the table of God and bring him whatever you need to bring him to to seek forgiveness or ask for strength or encouragement to remember his sacrifice to to maybe recommit yourself just before we get there I want to share just a, a one final verse for you John chapter 13 verses 34 through 35. Jesus says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. How do we flourish as a church? How do we flourish as, as a community of faith here in Franklin and Williamson County? Uh, how will, how will our, our friends and neighbors know of our devotion to Jesus Christ? Deep, intimate love and friendship. Our witness to the world is the love and friendship that you share with the person sitting next to you. Do you see that? It is the framework that makes all of this, all of God's plan and purpose possible. 
I hate sometimes we treat the church like a, like a country club with members and membership. You know what I'm talking about? We've used that language here. Um, <clears throat> you know, and a member like, jump in, jump out, okay, whatever, you know. Um, I, I don't know, maybe their language isn't right, but what if we, we elevated things at Aspen Grove from membership to friendship? The kind of friendship that Jesus describes in John 15. Sitting around the table moments from his own death. A kind of friendship that dedicates everything to each other, that deeply loves and, and is willing to serve each other sacrificially. If that's us, if that's our commitment, then our world and our friends and our neighbors will see something different in us. They will know of our deep love of Jesus. They will know that we are his disciples. So in just a minute, I'm going to say a prayer and dismiss you to a time of communion. It's also for us a time of response. If there's ways we can pray for you or serve you, uh, uh, maybe you're interested in the church or, or, or even giving your, your life to Christ through baptism, we, we want to receive you and uh, uh, serve you in any way we can. So I'm just going to move to the back back there and invite you to come during this time. But also as we enter into this time of communion, uh, I invite you down this path of not membership, but a friendship. And so uh, uh, it's kind of ironic to me how, uh, you know, the Last Supper was a group of friends who deeply loved each other sitting around a table. Do you think it was really quiet and still? Like, like can you imagine, like, you know, guys, I just need my quiet time. Um, that's, that's not how it worked, but that's how we, we, we've kind of, communion for us is has become less of a family, less of a friendship kind of thing, and more of a personal thing. Does that make sense? But that was never really the picture. And, and so I invite you to do something a little bit different, and maybe, uh, uh, maybe you'll be brave and step out there. I know you can do it. Um, but I just invite you to express your love for one another during this time of communion. Maybe it's in a hug or a word of encouragement. Maybe pray for each other. Just simply go around to each other as, as a church as we pursue this vision of deep love, as we obey the command of Jesus Christ to love each other, his command. Just invite you to love each other. I, in my head, I think it would look a lot like our hug and howdy time, right? I don't imagine that it's going to be a soft, quiet time. So uh, as you take communion, share it with those around you. Let the love of Christ come and and fill in the cracks between us. Maybe there's brokenness in, in some relationships. Maybe you just need to be restored. Uh, maybe you just need to, to shake somebody's hand and say, man, brother, I love you. I'm so glad you're here. Think you can do that? Is that too much? Man, he has such big things of us. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much uh, uh, for your word. If you're teaching the way, it's, uh, man, it's just... Uh, it's convicted my heart and my life in so many ways. And God, I pray that your spirit would, would, would do a work far beyond my words or, or ability to, to communicate your thoughts. But God, I pray that your spirit would speak to every heart in this room right now, that, that, uh, that each and every one of us would be convicted in the parts of our life, the areas of our life that aren't in alignment with you, that, that we would renew our commitment to you today. But also, Father God, as we move forward as a church, as a community dedicated to your mission and purpose, dedicated to flourishing, Father God, let us commit to one another. 
Let us commit to love each other deeply and sacrificially. Don't let the relationships that exist in this church be temporary or disposable. But Father God, let us dedicate ourselves to one another. Doesn't that sound good? Father God, I, I know that this is only possible through your son, Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice, through his example. Father God, give us the courage to follow it. We love you. And in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says, Amen.